So, in our reframe series, uh, we uh, wanted to kind of tackle some things that um, go on in our lives that are kind of in the kind of area of health and well-being, and that uh, we uh, experience different things that affect our health and our well-being. And we would like we try to identify some of the ones that um, that are really obvious, and it'd be good to kind of get insight and get people telling their stories about it. But there are some that are not so obvious, but are still impactful. And d disappointment is one of those things. In fact, I checked, tested with Michelle during this week uh, when I was doing, working on um, my storytelling for today, and I uh, said, you know, when I say the word disappointment to you, what do you think? And she kind of intimated that it's, kind of, it's, a, it's a lightweight experience, you know, like we all have it. It's not one that, you know, too big a drama really or that you really kind of dwell on. Disappointment is one of those kind of things that we just go through. But I must be, um, I thought, well, you know, it's not like that for me. Disappointment is a total drama in my life. And, um, and so I was on the verge of saying to, um, to uh, J-Mac and to Justin, maybe I should change um, our theme for this week. I think it may be more relevant and more pertinent to people. But as I began to kind of think through some of my stories, I think, nope, I know what this is. And it was kind of boosted by um, some a medical journal that I was reading on health and well-being. And in it, the psychologist who was writing it noted that there were um, three things. How do you put it? It said, there are three emotions that we all experience most commonly and most regularly. The first one is love. Yep. Got that. The second one was regret. Okay, I know that. The third one is disappointment. Okay, what? It's right up there in the things that we most commonly experience. And even though we wrongly label disappointment as maybe being a bit of a lightweight experience that we have, we need to understand that buried in this experience of disappointment are the two strongest emotions that we experience in our life, and that's anger and sadness. And when I realized that, I thought, yep, this is, this is really good to talk about. You know, I mean, disappointment, what is, what is that? You know, um, as a kid, I remember wishing so much for a Christmas present. I told my parents what I wanted, sat down in front of our pillow slip, which was our stocking, ripped everything out of it to look for the particular parent present. I had told my mum I wanted it wasn't there. And their disappointment was so immense, I burst into tears, completely didn't look at any of the other presents. And that. Or disappointment can show up like um, there was this girl at school I really, really, really liked and really, really wanted her for my girlfriend and um, got the courage up to kind of approach her towards the end of the year. And um, an I won't tell the story and it's tired, you don't have time, but an embarrassing moment happened where she found that I liked her in front of the whole class. She said, ooh, I don't like you, Crawford. And uh, the, the, the shattering experience of you know, my expectation that one day she would be my girlfriend broke in that moment was heartbreaking. <laughs> but um, probably uh, the thing from my childhood or my teenage life where there was a, a, a moment that really showed how disappointment acted on me in a way that I was not really, really aware of, but it did really act on me. I think this is what happens for us in disappointment. I'm a really sporty person, and I, I, in school I failed miserably on the educational front. 
but I was really sporty, and that was kind of like my place of go-to place to feel good about myself. Because of my bad behaviour, I wasn't allowed to play in the uh, rugby, the school rugby team, because it's at college rugby is the sport that all good boys play, and the bad boys don't get a chance to play it. There was a new sport that began for school for boys at school. It was a girls' game, but boys began to play it when I was a teenager. That was hockey, and the captain of the hockey team was my. Um, that's how it was back in the 60s. Um, and the, he, he, the captain of the team was a guy I surfed with, and he said, why don't you come and play, um, come play hockey with us? So I went and played it. I was good at it, just naturally good at it. And I talked my two brothers to kind of join me. And so there were three brothers playing in the Mount Mongonui hockey team. And for two years, we kind of won most of our games. And then we got in the second year to the regional finals. And so it was our team against Hamilton, who had been the the winning, regional winning team for years. And we, my brothers and I, we got out in the field, we practiced every night. We were so sure that the three of us could win this game for Mount Maunganui College. Finally, Mount Maunganui College would be able to kind of say, we're the best at hockey. Well, came the day and it was a Sunday. Now, in my family, you do not play sports on Sunday. So we had the first mission was to really talk our parents into let us to go and play sports and play this game on Sunday. And uh, we finally gave us permission to do that. I can remember standing on that, that, that field so pumped up with adrenaline and so excited that we were going to win this game. It was a really hard game. Almost on full time, it was still nil all. And I said to my brothers, we cannot lose this game. We have to get a score. And just within moments, I kicked the ball in the circle with my boot, which gave them a penalty. And it was a, what's called a short penalty, if you know what, a short corner. And they scored right on full time. I was so gutted. I, 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 you know, I wanted to just sit on the ground and just cry. That I couldn't, I couldn't come to terms with how disappointed I was feeling in that moment. I was just really, really, really angry. But most of all, I was really sad, but that wasn't something that I would acknowledge and tell myself. I basically smashed my stick on the ground, went home, didn't talk to anyone, and just brooded. Was moody, was intolerant, but most of all, I made the decision that I'd never play hockey again. And my other brother, older brother, also the same. He was just as moody and devastated and grumpy as I was. My younger brother, who was the third brother playing in it, goes, oh, well, another year to play hockey. You know, he still plays hockey, played hockey up into his mid-50s. You know? <laughs> Where my older brother and myself um, never picked up um, the hockey stick again. I'm not quite sure. I did pick up the hockey stick when I was, came to Wellington and kind of got my act together as the person I decided to play hockey again, played for Lower Hutt team, and tried out and got picked for the um, uh, Wellington um, team to play the Nationals. And so I remember sitting there thinking about um, playing you know, in the Nationals and the echo of my miserable failing kicked in and I pulled out the team. I didn't play in the Nationals. I had a very good spiritual reason why. I was a dedicated follower of Jesus and I couldn't mix sports and being a Jesus follower. So. 
But underneath, I guess I really knew that I was scared of failing again. I was, did not want the disappointment of not winning the Nationals, so I didn't go there. And so disappointment, whether we realize it or not, is something that we experience. And if we don't catch it, if we don't understand it, it can dictate to us the rest of our lives. Um, I attempted to kind of point out what disappointment looked like. I actually went to the Webster Dictionary, and so I'll write that down. But for me, it was so narrow. But disappointment is really, really quite comprehensive in terms of what happens to us. It's, it's that based around, basically what all that is saying is just simply this. We live our lives. We hope for things. We dream about achieving things. We create expectations, and those expectations become motivations within us to move forward. What we do with expectation, particularly um, when the expectation is something that has become um, set in our lives and something we've done for a long period of time, we will find that uh, the longer that we expect something and then one day when the expectation isn't met, there's a profound emotional experience that we have. And in that emotional experience, we will feel a number of emotions, depending on what um, the emotions are that we feel. For me, these are the kinds of emotions that I feel when, when I have expected something and it hasn't happened. It didn't turn out how I wanted it to turn out. And the sense of being disappointed kind of turns up in these different ways. Aggression, certainly when, I, um, when we didn't win that hockey game, um, I was very aggressive. It, anyone at school would cross me, I would thump them. And it was unexplainable why I would do that. That I would, um, I would feel guilty because I kind of almost promised the team that the brothers will win it for them. And I didn't. That there was this kind of tension between um, should I do it again or shouldn't do it again, and it kind of led to things like low self-esteem and even being worried about you know, whether it did the right thing or should do this again. And so it was better for me to kind of avoid those kind of things. But mostly I was irritable, I was lonely, and constantly in a bad mood. And that lasted for months. Now, those kind of emotions and experiences in themselves seem to be unrelated to the event. And certainly for me, if someone said, why are you so moody? You know, why have you cut yourself off from people not talking and that? I couldn't say, because we lost the hockey team game. Because I'm so disappointed that we didn't win. I couldn't identify that. All I knew is that I was experiencing these things. And I wonder, if, if, when we think about in our lives, when we think that we may be acting in a moody way, or someone says, you know, what's wrong with you? You're a bit of a mood. And you go, no, I'm not. And so, well, you know, I think you are. And we kind of get short with them, or we withdraw, or we fight back. But we don't really necessarily stop and say, you know, maybe this moodiness is actually related to something that I'm feeling disappointed about in my life. Then the disappointment can sink into some more long-term things like feeling discouraged, feeling apathy, and even depression. How, how it happens is that disappointment kind of turns up in our lives this way. We're on a trajectory. We have 
expectations. We had things we want to achieve or things that we think should be. And suddenly, we have a reality check. One day, in the middle of that journey, we suddenly have a reality check. What I am thinking about, what I want, has met reality and it hasn't happened. And it's almost like we've hit a brick wall. There's been a sudden stop in our journey. There's been something that has just brought everything to a halt. And that halt is really painful. It was unexpected and it was, it's very hard to come to grips with it. It's really hard to face it. It could be a conversation with somebody where you've kind of been hoping that certain things, you're in a group maybe like a mosaic or in a sports team or in a work situation where there is this kind of, you have this expectation that things will go a certain way and then one conversation shows you that it's not going to go that way. And you have this, this emotion, explosion of emotions in you which could be any one of these kind of emotions but it all represents the moment of disappointment when something hasn't and isn't going to happen how you want it to. Now, this moment is often can be a defining moment in our lives, but unfortunately because so many of us really don't register a disappointment as being something that is impacting on us, we make decisions and we decide to do things like my decision not to carry on playing hockey and not realizing the implication of what I was actually doing to myself as a person. But there was a good strong reason why I, did, I don't have the time to waste on something like this, we're not good enough, was the story that I told myself. And we developed stories to say why we will not go past this point when we have been halted. And if we slide into the muddy pit, then the things of apathy and dis, um, being discouraged and depression in itself becomes what we, it is that we battle. It is the thing that we're trying to overcome without actually dealing with the source that put us there in the first place. Why we ended up being there. So we spend a lot of time and energy you know, trying to work out how do you overcome depression? How do I kind of get my mojo back and I'm so apathetic? Without really stopping to think there was something that caused this. And very often it is a moment of disappointment. It's a moment when we hit the wall of reality and didn't match what we'd hoped it would be. In our seasons of life, we all have what I call defining moments, things that happen that define that season of our life. I had one of those um, in my years of being in Youth for Christ. I got invited to be in Youth for Christ because of um, the community I was a part of. We were already as just volunteers, just young 20-year-olds, reaching out to uh, what was in the early 70s called street kids, which we really are, are youth at risk. And there was this phenomenon that kind of just happened in New Zealand society where teenagers were leaving home and hanging out together, sleeping under bridges, um, sleeping in abandoned factories or in the in the, in the in particularly in Lower Hutt, there were lots and lots of um, properties that weren't rented and they would break into them and set up home in them. And we would find these kids and we'd try and help them. Youth for Christ invited me to kind of come and do this full time with them. And said, sure, I, I know what this is about. I've been doing this. And as I began to kind of get involved with Youth for Christ and to do it, it kind of did not happen. 
Somehow when you become a professional and when you do something full-time, it completely changes the way that you go about doing it. And so I struggled for about three or so years trying to be effectively kind of connect with these street kids, these at-risk teenagers that were around us and couldn't. We had a, a small handful of them that we were working with. One weekend we went um, to do a, a rafting trip down the Rangitiki River and we were sleeping in tents with my leaders, the three of us in this little pup team together. And we said, if we could start again, how would we start? How, what would we do different? And kind of like it just dawned to us, it's almost like a God moment where he said, we wouldn't start a club and invite kids to belong to a club. We would get a house, invite them to live with us. And it kind of, that sparked an idea. We went back and talked to our director at Youth for Christ and he said, well, get a house. And we did. We bought a house. It was a big house, seven bedrooms. And you know what? Kids wanted to live with us in our house. We had three leaders that moved into it and we had these kids that hung out with us all the time. We were on uh, a, a trip in Mount Monganui with about 150 um, uh, Christians from Wellington, youth from Wellington, doing an outreach in Mount Monganui. On the last day, I get a phone call from the police and said that um, your house is on fire. We've put it out, but we think it's arson. And so we come ripping back to Wellington, and sure enough, the house was half burnt down. And we looked at it and thought, you know, this is, you know, sort of, the enemy is attacking us. We must be doing the right thing. And so full of hope, full of expectation, we went to the insurance company. Yep, they'll pay for a rebuild. We went to other Christians and got funding to, get it, to do it. And so we started to rebuild this house better than it was. And we're kind of rejoicing and celebrating, say, you know, these people think they can burn our house down, but they're actually making it better for us. We got to the stage where we closed it in. The jib board was going to arrive on Monday, and we're going to align the inside. On Sunday night, early hours of the morning, on a morning, I get a phone call from the police says, you better come down, your house is on fire again. I get there and stand, and it's just burnt to the ground. And I stood across the road, tears streaming down my face. As I looked at them, I didn't know if I was saying this out loud or not, but the voice in my head was screaming, we lost you one. We lost you one. And I I remember the, the overwhelming feeling that this was so unfair, that this, you know, it was arson. They, they could tell straight away that, that there had been about three places where there had been petrol poured and someone had burned it down. And, and, and I really felt that the devil had won. I really felt that the evil forces against us had won. And I was bitterly, bitterly disappointed. And I was so angry. But what I did was I withdrew from everybody. Didn't feel there's anyone that I could talk to. And I went into a state of real loneliness. And I, I was almost finding it impossible to, pro to process this in myself because I wasn't able to identify what really what was going on inside me. All I could think was there were these kind of evil forces against the good work that we're doing and they'd won. And I was so battling with going to the director of Youth for Christ and saying, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. It's over. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. 
just around about that time, I don't know, I, I can't, re can't recall how it happened, but I got introduced to a way of praying that I'd never, ever, ever seen before, heard about before. You see, my prayer life up to this point was kind of, you know, was kind of punctuated with songs like, Oh, How I Love Jesus, From the Rising of the Sun, Rejoice, Rejoice, God is Good to Us. So it, my prayer time was always full of kind of those kind of happy, clappy kind of things. But the last thing I wanted to do was kind of do happy, clappy kind of praying. And I didn't really know or think that there was other ways that you could relate to God until someone in this, I, I think it was a sermon, I can't remember what it was, but someone read out Psalm 13 and explained what it was. I want to, it introduced the idea to me that you can get angry with God. You can have a meltdown with God. Uh, some say that David wrote this psalm when Absalom, his son, was um, kicked him off the throne and overtook his family. Others say that it's more like a, a, a culmination of moments in David's life when things didn't go right and he was in a state of lament, in a state of sorrow and frustration, anger and wonder, wondering what the heck's going on in his life. And he wrote this. And it starts off with, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? With sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemies have the upper hand? And I remember going into um, my space where I prayed and giving myself permission to pray this to God and say to him, it's not fear. It's, you've let me down. I trusted you. You're meant to be the big guy. You're meant to be the one that never gets the better of. And here, the other side is one. I don't get it. I don't get you. And I don't like you right now. Kind of lived in that for a while. The prayer turns on, turn and answer me, O God, my God, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle in my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice in my downfall. After really spitting at God, there comes a moment when you feel that you have to maybe be a bit more constructive. Still angry, still hurting, still frustrated, full of fear, full of, I don't really want to be here, but pleading to God to saying, if I'm going to find my hope again, if I'm going to find faith again, if I'm going to hope and, and look, you know, be, be brave and courageous and go, step out again into this battle, you called me a part of it, you've got to meet me. You've got to be there for me. And I remember going through this, and it was the first beginnings of my coming to terms with understanding the nature of disappointment and how it plays on us. 
And the reason why I was able to start to identify that I'm living in a state of sheer disappointment and I want to give up because I've hit the brick wall and I've fell in this pit and I can't get myself out of it and I can't get through the brick wall. Is that we've got to somehow acknowledge that we're hurting. We've got to acknowledge that it has played on us and we are damaged, we are wounded. And it seemed that the best place and the best person to have that out with is God. And I discovered that. I discovered that you can ramp and rage and spit at God. And he stands there patiently, listens to us. I don't know how that impacts you, but for me, there was an incredible aha moment. It was an awakening to a reality in my spiritual journey that I never really had known before. I guess what really happened when, when I boil it down is that it was probably the first time that I was really honest with myself about myself. And why God was so patient to take it from me is because he already knew it. I just needed to catch up and know it too. But it was the beginning of my coming through and dealing with disappointment. Here's the steps that I took to find my way through disappointment. One of the first things I had to do is that I needed to stop being such a sooky baby. I needed to stop kind of collapsing and making stupid edicts and inner vows like, I will never do this again. I will never do that again. I am not going to put myself in a situation where I'm going to feel disappointment like this again. I realized that that's such an adolescent way of looking at life and dealing with life. Because the reality is this. The moment you hope for something, the moment you build expectations of a better future you'd like to step into and hope as you go on the journey to get there that it will be like you imagine it. But guess what? It often is not. And so I need to build this resilience against... Uh, Disappointment. It wasn't to try and protect myself from being disappointed. It was more realizing that if I'm going to hope, if I'm going to imagine, if I'm going to try and create something, that it will never be exactly as I'm hoping it to be, as I imagined it to be. And there will be moments where I will feel disappointment when a reality check comes that I was not quite that. And I need to somehow be saying, that's okay. Having this expectation, having this hope, dreaming this way has brought me this far. It's brought me to a point of reality that I now have to kind of think, okay, it's teaching me something. I've now got some more insight. This disappointment is helping me to rethink. That's why I call disappointment resilience. And then to do go to the really challenging thing of building new expectations. Because the choice when we hit this wall is to say, I'm not going to do this again. Why should I put myself through this? Why should I experience this kind of disappointment again? It would be better off to play it safe, become risk adverse, and go for the sure thing that you know will happen. But we, we weren't made by God to live that way. We've been made as creators, many creators, to bring into existence things that don't exist with the real possibility that it won't be as we hoped. Just ask God. He'll tell you.
I found that restoring hope and being hopeful again is probably one of the hardest things in my life because I am risk-adverse and I don't like the feelings that are associated with being disappointed. And to hope again when hopelessness sets in is actually quite a journey for me. And it requires courage. So in my journey to saying, I'm not going to let this store, this wall stop me. I need to find a way around it. And often the way around it is changing direction. It's not sort of going around it and keep going the same direction. Often when we meet disappointment, it's a reality. It helps us to stop and reconsider, reevaluate. But this is what we need, I think, uh, those of us who have done kind of David Riddell's kind of journey of learning and handling life. He has a, 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 a kind of a rule that's good to develop for ourselves. He calls them truth coaches. Find a way of being able to say something that for you is really true that you can turn to when you're stuck. And particularly when disappointment gets me stuck and I hit that wall, I needed to find something that for me helped me to say, learn from this. This is my truth coach. Hope is permanent. Good is permanent. God is permanent. Disappointment is temporary. Evil is temporary. Bad is temporary. I believe that. I have come to understand that in my reading of scriptures. I see that that is the truth. And so every time I'm confronted by disappointment, every time I feel reality gives me a big shock and stops me in my tracks, and about what I'm dreaming about. I need to go somewhere that helps me through it. And this is what I say. I wonder what the truth coach would be for you. This is what Martha Luther King Jr. says. We must accept finality of disappointment, but never lose the infinite hope. Learning how to deal with disappointment is a lifelong process. It starts with an understanding that this too shall pass. It's temporary. We can move forward on the knowledge that something, sometimes disappointment, a disappointing situation is a clean break. It's a chance to move into something better. Now I know that every story that we have it does not have you know, a great ending. Um, and we just move on. But I, the story of losing our house um, and felt like what we wanted to do come to an end, we did not have resources to kind of start it again. And I was lost and didn't know what to do. I went to God and cried out to him. And I really couldn't pray that last section of the prayer for a long time. Some months later, one of the boys that lived in the house that we had came up to me in my home and he said, I'm really sad that we've lost the house, but I am really determined that what you were teaching us in the house, I want. So I want to become a follower of Jesus. We, we had been telling stories to our boys for about four years at this point and none of them wanted to become followers of Jesus. And here in this moment, by himself, after experiencing this most disappointing moment in my life, he figures out he wants to become a follower of Jesus. I grab him, I take him to a small group leader, we sit down and we do the deed. We pray him through and um, get him on, you know, inside the box. <laughs> it's terrible, I know. 
but he became a genuine follower of Jesus. And more than that, his friends saw it and wanted to follow his example. And suddenly we had, meeting in our homes, these boys that wanted to know all about being a follower of Jesus. Not only that, a guy, I don't know who he is to this day, I can't remember, can we call him, came to my office and said, um, is that your empty section down on Hutt Road? Said, yep, he says, I want to bite off you. And I go, oh, I get lost. I don't want anything to do with that. He persisted. He turned up at my place one day um, in the evening and said, have you thought more about selling your house? And that the section, I said, no, nope. we might build on it one day. And he said, look, I'll make it worth your while. And he said, I'll pay for it what you, I'll pay for it what you bought it for. And so he did. And it was like, we won. <laughs> Took time. And I was able to, at that moment, pray this. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. We went on and established houses in Petoni, Wainui, Lower Hutt, Parirua. Out of the money that seeded that, we won. And we did the hope again and dream about things that we couldn't have dreamt about if we hadn't been disappointed. We dreamt about starting an alternative school, and we did. We dreamt about being able to get the key role with Justice Department, with Youth in Heart Valley, and I got appointed to the Children's Board. Things that could never have dreamt about, but could only dream when we reimagined, when we reset our examples, our, our expectations, based on the failure that we had gone through, the disappointment that we experienced. So my encouragement to us today is see disappointment as God's opportunity to move us in a direction that we may not go into because of the expectation we have right now. It hurts. It's a struggle. But we've got a God who will let us come to him in our anger and our sorrow and our sadness and speak our mind with him and he will listen. So I leave this idea with you. Don't treat disappointment lightly. Allow the process of being a reality check stopping you to take you to a better place in your life because hope is permanent. Disappointment is temporary. Thank you.